Uh, friends, you can grab your Bibles or turn them on, and let's head to Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you're new to the Bible, that's okay. Bible split into two big sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So Gospel of Matthew, there's a table of contents at the beginning of your Bible if you need help, uh, if you need help finding it. Matthew chapter 6 uh, is where we're going to be, and we're going to be in verses 5 through 9 this morning. So I'm going to read this, and then we're going to ask for God's help and see what he has for us. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 5, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Verse 9, therefore you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. Jesus, we ask that by your Spirit, you would teach us to pray. Um, we do confess that we are like your disciples who say, this is difficult and we need your help. And Spirit of God, we, we know that you have been sent to both reveal truth to us. So we ask that you would do that. We ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our heart to receive all that you have for us through your word. And we also ask that, that like you've been sent to do, you would help our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. Mm -hmm. that, that Spirit, your presence within us um, would make the reality of who we are in Christ, dearly loved sons and daughters, that that, that that would be not just knowledge that we have, not just words that we read in your scripture, and we're so grateful that you're in your scripture, but that that adoption as sons and daughters would be a felt experience in our lives. And Spirit, we know that's only possible through you, so we ask, Spirit, because you're God, that you would help us. Help us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So um, a couple months ago, as we were, you know, as we kind of started together, there was, a, there was a few different groups meeting in homes, and then a couple months ago, we started meeting all together, and just as we started to meet all together, we were in a, a good friend of mine, Danny Davis's front yard, mm -hmm. and um, one of my dear brothers in the faith, one of my best friends, Donnie Griggs, was with us, and um, some of you guys know Donnie, if you don't, he's a, uh, he's a a quite intimidating, large presence, bearded. He looks kind of like a pirate uh, or the captain of, of a yeah pirate ship, to be honest. I do have friends who aren't large and bearded, by the way. Uh, but he is like me. He's large and bearded. And uh, one of the things that Donnie talked about, one of the ways that he encouraged us, is he said, hey, the cement of what the Lord is doing here is really wet. And that's a beautiful thing because... Uh, if as a kid you come across wet cement, you know, you're like, what do you do? I want to stick my hand in it. Or if you're Michael Scott, you want to stick your face in it, uh, whatever it is. But, but the beauty is like it, it's wet. You can leave an imprint in that cement that's going to be there. But as that cement hardens, as the foundation hardens, what became easy to put your print in is actually really difficult to take it out. So what he charged us with is, hey, the cement is wet. Like we all get to be a part of laying this foundation but make sure you're laying the right foundation. 
because later if you have to take it up, it's going to take a jackhammer. It's going to be really difficult. And so as I was thinking about that this week and just asking God, like, man, what, what would you have me share? And what's some of that foundational stuff? It, it's that we want to be a praying church. That we really believe that all that we're called to do is not possible without the Spirit of God. And so like we want to pray that the Spirit of God would show up. And we want to pray and say, Spirit of God, you're, you're welcome here. Would you bring power to what we're doing? Jesus tells his followers in Acts 1, hey, don't go anywhere. Don't go do anything until the promised Holy Spirit comes and brings power. But he says, you're going to be clothed with power by the Spirit. This mission that I've given you to go everywhere and tell everyone, you're going to be able to do that because I'm going to send my spirit. So we want to be a church that, that prays. In, 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 the, uh, in the beginning of Acts, there were moments where the church, in a small room like this, they prayed and the Lord showed up in a way that like shook the foundations. And that's not like a, oh man, it was this really powerful moment. It was kind of like the foundations shook. Uh, the language there is like, actually the, the earth kind of shook as they were praying. I hope we have some nights of prayer and worship that are like that. We want prayer to be at the foundation of what we do. We want to not just be a faithfully present people to others, to God, to ourselves. We want to be a people who are faithfully present in prayer. Charles Spurgeon, who was a, um, a great preacher in the 19th century, uh, he led a huge church in London that the Lord just blessed and did all kinds of amazing things through. People would always show up and ask him, like, what are you? They would show up like they do now. Like, what's the secret sauce? What are you doing? You know, like now you walk in, it's like, well, okay, what is it like an environment you have to create? You got lights and some smoke. Do we do like that's not new to our age. They were doing that with Spurgeon as well. And so they, a guy showed up and was like, hey, kind of what's the secret of what's going on? And um, he said, follow me. I want to take you down to the boiler room. He took him down to this room that was underneath the sanctuary. And he called it the boiler room, and he opened it, and there was a bunch of people praying. And he said, the secret is, my people pray for me. And, um, man, I hope that that's true of us. <laughs> that, like, what we do is we gather both corporately all together on Sundays and in smaller groups throughout the week. That we say when people are like, what, what's going on? How is God blessing this? How are y'all baptizing people and seeing people saved, seeing people be filled with the Spirit? All of the, How's it happening? And, and, and we don't say, we... we We've got great music and great preaching and, and uh, really welcoming people. Like, I hope all those things are true. We say, we, we pray. We pray. We ask God to do what only God can do. We want to be a people who are faithfully present in prayer. Now, as we think about prayer, um, I, I don't think this is new information for anyone. Like, oh, we should be a people who are praying. Like, I need to bring my notes next time. We're going to hear new information. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus... And if you're not, you're so welcome here. Please, uh, man, we're so grateful you're here. But, but I would guess that even if you didn't grow up in the church, the idea that the people of God pray, that they talk to God, that they communicate with God, uh, that they ask God to do things, that that's not new. That's not new. Um, but the reality is, as followers of Jesus, that's difficult for a lot of people. Now, there, there are some, and, and I am, if I'm honest, a bit jealous of you, there are some who your whole story of following Jesus has been, prayer is like the most natural thing that I do. I just want to do it all day long. I, I communion with God. I, I feel this close, intimate relationship with God as I pray. And I, I love that. And, and there are some of you who are like, man, I, I try and I get so distracted. 
And I wake up and I think about praying and as I sit down to pray, that's exactly when I think about the fact that the lawn needs to be mowed and the garage needs to be organized. I never think about how disorganized the garage is until I'm trying to pray. I would say maybe our approach in prayer is off. I think it reveals, and it certainly does for me, that our prayer, our approach in prayer is off and off. Maybe you see prayer as a one-way conversation. You're like, I'm talking a whole lot. God's not saying anything bad. Maybe you would say, well, I, I believe God is in control of everything. And hey, I'm, I'm with you. Like, big sovereignty of God guy here, theologically. Um, you're like, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. Why pray? Does it really make a difference? You say, like, well, what's, what's really the point? Or if you're really honest, what if you just were okay saying, I don't really want to pray a lot of the time? Most sermons and uh, in series that I've heard on prayer, though there have been some phenomenal ones, they typically make me feel guilty for not doing something that I know I should be doing. And so I'll leave, and maybe that Sunday afternoon and Monday morning, it's like, man, prayer was so great. And then by Tuesday, I'm like, what was step three of what he said? And boy, that garage really does need to be organized. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Hey, my hope is over the next few weeks that that's not actually your experience. That, that you don't leave this place feeling more guilty about something that you don't do. I, I want to encourage you. Our vision as a church is that we aim to be a faithfully present people who know Christ and make him known. And I want you to know who it is you're praying to. I want you to know how he taught us to pray. So we're going to spend the next few weeks diving into a well-known prayer that you heard me read earlier that's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is not just our Savior. He's also our example. And uh, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples actually have the same question that we do. Like, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And in that question is, is like, hey, they were his closest followers, and it was difficult for them. So if prayer is difficult for you, you are in good company. That is okay. Let's together say to Jesus, Jesus, help us. Would you teach us to pray? Now, it's important to remember the Lord's Prayer. It, it's not a formula. It, it's, not a, it's, or it's, it's not just a, something that we're supposed to meaningly repeat, right? It's not a pray this exact thing and you'll be good. Jesus says pray like this, not just a pray this exact thing, though it's okay to pray this exact thing. That's not a, a, exactly what he's, what he's after. Jesus is actually through this prayer, he's inviting us to experience the same communion that he has with his father. Yeah. He's showing us what it looks like to communicate with our Father. Jesus has made His Father our Father. He's showing us what it looks like to have the same relationship with God the Father that He experienced. And so as we lean into this, let's just say with His disciples, Jesus, faithful older brother, Son of God, would you teach us to pray? So here's what He says again at the beginning of verse 5. He says, whenever you pray. Now we, we've got to stop there. Jesus doesn't start this section on prayer and say, hey, if you pray, if you're one of those folks who, who prays, if you're somebody who is going to communicate with God, do it like this. He actually assumes that we're going to pray. He says, hey, whenever you pray, make this your consistent habit, whenever you pray. Now, before he teaches us what it looks like to pray, he actually shows us two ways not to pray. So he says, whenever you pray, don't pray like this. Two ways. First is praying for the attention of others. He, he says it again in verse 5. Whenever you pray, 
You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Jesus teaches his followers. He teaches us, says, hey, listen, when you pray, when you approach God, don't do it this way. I don't want to show I'm not after you standing up and giving a bunch of meaning or giving a bunch of big words, right? He talks about the hypocrites. He's, he's talking about the religious leaders during this time. And he's saying, hey, these religious leaders, they like to pray to be seen by other people. Uh, one of the things he's talking about is that they would find themselves like at the time of prayer, at the hour of prayer. It'd be like, oh, I'm in the synagogue and everyone's around. I just have to pray. I guess you can hear me pray or at the street corner where everyone would see him. And Jesus is pointing out that's actually not the purpose of prayer. Like what would happen is you would hear religious leaders like this pray and, and kind of the response would be like, that's such an amazing prayer. I could never pray like that. I need to take notes on the words that you use. That, that's not what Jesus is after. For those hypocrites, what Jesus is pointing out is that their prayer was actually directed at themselves rather than God. Their primary concern was being seen as holy and righteous and good and wise before other people. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's something deeper going on in prayer than other people thinking highly of you. He continues on in verse six and says, when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who's in secret will reward you. He says, hey, don't pray like they do. Just go be with God. Nobody has to be impressed. You don't have to go around and tell people, hey, I prayed for 48 minutes this morning. How many minutes did you pray for? What were your prayers about? And he's saying, go, go do it in secret. Go be with God. Now, it's important to note that Jesus is not against public prayer. There, there are many who have used this text to say, we should not be praying in public in the church or in anywhere else. Well, Jesus broke that rule. If it was a rule, he prayed in public all throughout his ministry. The early church prayed in public in Acts. They prayed out loud. They prayed together. That's not what Jesus is after. He is concerned with our hearts, with our posture in prayer. Too often prayer can be about others seeing us. And God says he wants to be prayer to be about us seeing God and God seeing us, not other people. Don't pray like the hypocrites do. The second thing, second way he says not to pray is, is just praying mindlessly. It says in verse seven, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. So in the new in the new or in the non-Jewish world, prayer was about repetition and mysticism. It, it was you just say the same word over and 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 over again. And if you say enough prayers, you could cover yourself. Like I'm just gonna cover myself with endless repetition. God's not impressed with your words. He wants your presence. He wants your presence. And when we just kind of mindlessly repeat words, we're not offering God our presence. That's what he wants. He's not impressed with that. Repetition and length isn't the key to prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with long prayers. John 17, Jesus prays a really long prayer. There's multiple times in the Gospels where it says that Jesus prayed all night. There's nothing wrong with wrong prayer or long prayers. But repetition for the sake of repetition, that's wrong. God's after your heart. I um, I had a cousin who when we were little, oh man, I, I could like still picture this like it was yesterday. So uh, on my dad's side, he had 10 brothers and sisters. When we would all get together, it was incredible and chaotic and how any of us 
live to be adults is beyond me. Um, because we, we, my, our family practiced free range parenting, right? It was just like, go on ahead and come back, maybe, and if you don't, that's okay. Um, so when he would pray for all of us, like when it was like, hey, could you pray for the meal? There would be an audible from the cousins like, oh, because when he would pray, I, I'm not kidding. He would thank God for it was like an I spy game where he was trying to spy everything that was out and thank God for it. So it wasn't like, hey, God, thank you for this food. We're grateful for it. We're grateful for your bounty. I'm not kidding. He would be like, God, we, I thank you for this salt shaker and for the pepper. And, and I think not for all the forks. I was like, I thank you for John's fork and for their fork. And, and it was like, oh, my goodness, would you just end it? Right? Like that can be what we do in prayer often. Like I'm holier if I pray for an hour. And so I've just got to repeat mindless words. The Father's after our presence. He says in verse 8, he continues on, don't be like them, like these non-Jewish people who just kind of rattle words off meaninglessly. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. And, and we need to admit that we've done both of those things even with the Lord's Prayer. That we've made the Lord's Prayer this thing that we'll pray in public in front of other people so that they're impressed with us. Or we've said the Lord's Prayer in a way that's just mindless repetition. Jesus is saying, hey, don't do that. The Lord's Prayer has, in a lot of ways, lost its wonder because we're so familiar with it. Which is why we just want to spend a few weeks diving into this and say, if Jesus is going to take the time to say, pray like this, we ought to know what does that mean? What are you getting after? And so let's look at it again this morning, maybe in a fresh way. It says in verse 9, just the beginning of verse 9, Therefore you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. What we're after is being faithfully present in prayer. And what Jesus is saying is when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. That's all we're going to talk about today. What does he mean when he says pray our Father in heaven? This opening line, our Father in heaven, it shows us our approach in prayer. Jesus teaches us to approach God, to talk with God as Father. Um, I think it's pretty telling that most Christians, when they pray to God, actually don't pray to him as Father. There's Lord, there's King. Saying Father is difficult. And um, I think one of the primary reasons, and so I just want to acknowledge this, is we have a tendency to approach God as Father through the lens, good or bad, of our own earthly father. And so if you had a dad, you're like, man, he was present, he was with me, and I love my dad. The idea of approaching God as Father is like, it's incredible I have this amazing earthly dad. And uh, if you didn't, if you had a, maybe you don't know who your dad is, maybe you're like, man, I, I grew up really wanting a dad and I never had one. I grew up, I knew my dad, really wanted a relationship with me, with him. He didn't really want one with me. Um, I want you to know that, like, it's okay to actually lean into that. That's okay. It's, for some people, that's really difficult. And I think it's one of the reasons that, like, man, I, I have led groups of men and done this. We do this thing on self-awareness. And, um, like, I'll tell them, hey, I want you to pray, and I want you to tell your father what you need from him. And, and I want you to actually pray, Father. 
And inevitably, in a circle of men, when that happens, by the third or fourth guy, we're not praying Father anymore. There's Lord, there's King, Sovereign God, whatever it is. And I just think it's telling. So let's acknowledge that. Say, let's lean into that. If that's hard for you, talk with somebody about it. Talk with your father about it. Talk with God about it. He's a good father, and my hope is that you see that through this series. That's my hope. When, when Jesus says to, uh, when you pray to God to say, our father, this is a revolutionary way to refer to God. This would have been unheard of during this time. People did not refer to God as father during this time. The Jewish people, when they prayed to God, it was not to God as father. This is actually one of the primary things that got him crucified. Because he kept saying that he was God and he kept telling to pray to God as father. Abba, like this word, this was a completely new way to refer to God. There are many scholars who summarize the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament as this word. Jesus is saying there is something that has changed and you can approach God as father. That's the primary difference. That, that summarizes the entire difference between Old Testament and New Testament. Something's happened and we now approach God not through uh, sacrifices and not at a specific place. We actually approach him as a father and that's what Jesus is getting after. Jesus always referred to God as father. When he prays, it's always father. He's talking to God as father. He's saying, when he teaches us this, he's saying, hey, I want you to go to God in the same way that you would go to a good father. That's how we're supposed to approach God. The reason we're taking an entire week to just talk about this is the whole prayer, the whole rest of it will be off if the approach is off. If we're not going before God as a good and present father, the rest of the prayer we're not actually going to be able to be present in. So we need to ask, like, how do kids approach their father? Uh, if you have kids, maybe you know, or all of us were a kid at some point, like, kids often approach their dads in a pretty messy way. Uh, my kids don't, like, go up into a room and all talk together about, like, okay, how are we going to approach God? What are we going to say? What are we going to decide to talk to him about today? And, and then they don't come down and say, oh, wise and strong father giver of food and sometimes spankings thank you for your bountiful provision not like that that's not they just come down they do it constantly it's not like a hey dad uh it's six in the morning and i've just had my morning coffee and so i'm going to come talk to you now and then i'll see you again tomorrow at six when i have my morning no it's like a constant interaction throughout the day jesus is trying to show us something about prayer my kids when they come to me they come with confidence that I love them and I'm going to care for them. I'm going to tell them no sometimes. Sometimes there's a bit crazy requests. They come with confidence and Jesus is pointing us to the same thing. He shows us this in Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11, where he says, Well, who among you, if his son, like, think about what Jesus is saying. Some of y'all, like, I know, like, the Bible's boring. And it's kind of like, just, just think about what some of the stuff he's saying. Hey, who among you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? He's trying to help him. He's like, hey, which one of you, if your kid comes up, is like, hey, dad, uh, could, I have, could I have a fish? I'm really hungry. No dad is going to be like, yes, you can. Here's a snake. <laughs> I got you. Right? This, 
Jesus is pointing out something that's like, okay, this is ridiculous. Of course he's not going to do that. He says in verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's saying it's ridiculous to think that your dad would in some way hear your request and then kind of juke you and like, hey, here's a snake. You're asking for something good. I'm giving you something different. Quick, this could take a whole long rabbit, rabbit trail, so I don't want it to go there. But in Luke, this story continues on, and um, Jesus actually in this moment is referring to the Holy Spirit. And, and he says, hey, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I, I think one of the things he's doing is there are a lot of people who think when they ask for more of the Spirit that they're going to like get a demon. Like I, if I ask for more control of the Spirit, to pray in tongues, to be able to hear whatever that is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a demon. And Jesus actually says, no, 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 good dads don't do that. Good dads aren't going to be like, you're praying for this gift. That's what the Spirit of God is. He's a gift giver. And praying for that gift, like you're going to get something that Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Good dads don't do that. Just ask God. Ask God for more of the Spirit. May we be a people who do that. God loves us. He loves you. He's a good father who, who grieves when you grieve, who rejoices when you rejoice, who experiences anger in your story at the same things that cause you anger in her, who experiences happiness when you experience happiness, who is sad about parts of your story. It's what good and present fathers do. God loves you. Listen, I, I love my kids because they're my kids. I love them because they're my kids. There was this interesting thing that happened. So when we had Jack, who's our oldest, and I found out that um, Kristen was pregnant, there was this weird, I don't know if others have experienced this, there was a fear that I felt that was like, I, I love Jack so much, like how, how am I, do I have any more love to offer? And I was really worried, like, am I going to be one of those dads who's like, ah, sorry, man, all my love goes towards the firstborn, and uh, you get to work, right? An amazing thing happened when Buddy Kean was born. <clears throat> um, when I saw him, immediately my capacity to love grew. It was like all the love that I thought was only for my firstborn. It was like my capacity to love grew. There was more capacity in my heart to love. And then I had our sweet daughter, Audrey Kate. It was the same thing. It's like I cannot imagine myself physically being able to love anymore. And then my capacity to love grew. And what Jesus would say in that is like, gosh, if your capacity to love your kids is that great and you're evil, how great do you think my capacity is? Hey, some of you just need to hear really simply today that God the Father loves you. He really loves you. And his love for you isn't his love for this future put together not blowing it all the time version of you. When he's like, I love my kids because they're my kids, not because of what they will become one day. And I'm an evil father. God loves you for you. It's not this future version of you that he's like, man, I'm going to stick with him. I'm going to stick with her because eventually she's going to get this figured out. Eventually he's going to stop doing that. He's a good father. He loves you. He's for you. 
Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, and he says in heaven. You pray to God as a Father, but he's a good Father who's in heaven, and Jesus is teaching us something here, and I don't want us to just skip by it. There's two things that I want my kids to know about me. Two things. There's a lot of things I don't want my kids to know about me. Okay, but there's two things I do want them to know. I want them to know that I love them, and I want them to know that I'll be strong for them. I want them to know those two things. I want them to know that I love them, and that I'm actually strong enough to care for them. And Jesus, in these two phrases, is communicating to us the same thing. He wants us to understand the same thing. He says again in verse 9, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. There's two aspects to a good and present father. He's loving and he's strong. He's loving and he's strong. He's near and at the same time he's powerful. And typically we gravitate towards one of those two aspects of God. This is what theologians uh, have called the eminence of God, that he's, that he's close, that he's present, that he's near, and the transcendence of God, that he's powerful, that he's other than. And typically, we'll drift towards one or the other of those. And what Jesus is showing us in this prayer is, I want you to experience both. Both his presence and his closeness, and he's with you, and he loves you, and he's also powerful. And he's other than, and he's holy. He says, in heaven, like, God is the creator of the universe. When we remember God is in heaven, we're meant to think of his power, that he actually spoke all of this into existence. Scripture says that he upholds it by the word of his might. Proverbs 21.1 says that the heart of the king is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. The Lord just turns it whichever way he wants. That is power. To say that all these wicked kings and rulers and politicians, that, that, that their hearts are actually just a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He is powerful. He's strong for you. But he's also your father. He's near. He's present. He's involved. He loves you and he's for you. If you only focus on the strength of God, the transcendence of God, if you only focus on the fact that God is in heaven, it leads to you saying he's powerful. He could do something, but he just won't. If you view God primarily as just powerful, other than holy, you know he's powerful. You just don't think he's good enough to actually be involved in your story. But on the flip side, if you only focus on the fact that God is present and he's near and he's close and that he's good and that he's loving, it leads to you saying, man, I, God, he really does love me. He just can't do anything about what I'm facing. Because you don't view God as powerful. You don't view God as one who actually steps in and intervenes in his created world. Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to approach God in prayer this way. That he is a good, loving, present father who is strong, capable, and mighty, and controls everything. Our father in heaven. I like... We, We've got to take the time to say, the obvious thing that we should say is, you and I don't deserve this. The reason that the religious leaders were like, Jesus, you can't do that, and to the people he's talking to saying, don't you pray that way, is they know something about the nature and the character of God, that we don't actually get to approach God as Father. 
that we're not actually sons and daughters of God. We're enemies of God because of our rebellion, because of our sin. Jesus is inviting us to do something that we should not be able to do. So if you feel like I can't approach God in that way, you're right. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you hear voices or experience thoughts that would say, I can't go to God like that. I don't deserve to do that. The enemy is going to attack you in that way. And the problem with the way he attacks us is he whispers lies that are half true. He just doesn't finish. Like he never finishes. He preaches half a sermon. So if we just stop here, like, go on, go on, get him, go pray to God, his father. Two days from now, when the enemy's like, wait a second, you don't get to do that. You know what you did last night. You know who you are. You know that same sin you've been dealing with your entire life. You can't do that. Galatians 4, Paul helps us and says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we, you and I, might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, because Jesus has made you sons and daughters of the Most High God, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Paul says, hey, for those born under the law, what he's trying to help us remember is there was only one way to approach God. It was not to approach God as father. It was to approach God through rules and regulations and sacrifices. And if you messed up and approached God in the wrong way, you were put to death. That's what it looked like to approach God. But Paul says Jesus was actually sent to redeem those who were under the law, to redeem you and I. That's the only way to approach God through rules, sacrifices, rituals. He says that he came to fulfill the law, to redeem those under the law. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, that he's come not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it in our place. All that the sacrifices, that the rituals, that the practices that are mentioned in the Old Testament, all that they point to are fulfilled in Jesus. He became our great high priest. He became the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And then Paul says he did that so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's through Jesus's work in your place that you become a son or daughter of God. There is no other way. I have a friend who um, we're in a group and wrestling with the idea of like there being one way to God. And she said, aren't we all just sons and daughters of God? And it feels good to say yes. But what the Bible is actually going to say is no. You receive adoption as sons and daughters of God through the work of Jesus, not through yours. You are made a son or daughter of God through faith in what Jesus has done in your place. But it's only in that way. You can't approach God as father if you're not doing it through the finished work of Jesus in your place. You and I don't deserve that. Only Jesus does. Only Jesus lived perfectly the way that the law required us to live. And he did that in your place. And what you and I deserve for our rebellion is not adoption. We deserve separation and death. And Jesus experienced that in your place and in my place. Jesus died and rose again to make his father your father. And you can't approach him as father 
if you're not approaching him through Jesus. And so my question is, do you believe this? Are you going to take Jesus at his word and approach God as Father? If you would say, man, I've been trying to approach God, but I've been trying to approach God through my own effort, through my works, through the fact that my mom or my dad or my, my grandmom or my granddad, that they went to church, and I just I thought I'd kind of ride on their coattails. Jesus is saying, no, 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 you can't approach God as Father. But the invitation is that you actually can through his finished work in your place. Don't leave today wondering whether or not you can approach God as Father. Don't leave today. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would help us. Jesus, we thank you that you have made your Father our Father. And uh, God, where we tend to live like orphans, where we tend to live like people that you're disinterested in, we pray that you would forgive us. We pray that you would, even through this prayer, that you would teach us what it looks like to come to you as Father. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray for your spirit's presence and power that we ask. Amen.